And the rest of you, if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, or if you don't have a Bible today, you can find it printed there for you in the bulletin. Uh, this is our last sermon in the summer series on um, the, the first three chapters of Revelation. We've called it, What Would Jesus Say to the Church? And we've taken each one of the seven messages and we've tried to draw from it some lesson that we need to learn even today as, as Jesus' church. And today we come to the last one, the city of Laodicea. Uh, some people say this is the harshest or the most critical of all the letters that Jesus gives to the churches. We'll, we'll see what you think as we read. Let's read together. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord, amen. I will spit you out of my mouth. Did y'all hear that? That's the reason why I think a lot of people agree that this letter of all the seven letters is the most critical and the most harsh. It's, it's almost like it's addressing what Jesus sees as the most dire situation. Uh, when you spit something out of your mouth, it means it's what? Nasty. It's, it's actually repulsive to you. And so it's really important for us to ask this question. If something is repulsive to Jesus, we ought to want to know it. We ought to know what that is, and we ought to want to ourselves learn how to spit that out of our mouth so that we don't get spit out of his mouth. Now, Laodicea, we've got to talk about this city for a second, because there were several things that the city of Laodicea was famous for back in the first century. And Jesus, the great master that he is, incorporates all the things into this message. So let me, let me list them real quick. Uh, first of all, Laodicea was famous for its wealth. Uh, it was at the uh, crossroads of three major Roman roads, and there were several banks in the city of Laodicea, and people from all around the region would come and invest their gold and their money into the banks of Laodicea, and so many of the residents got really rich, really wealthy off of this enterprise. Uh, in fact, isn't that interesting that Jesus says, come to me and buy gold, when they themselves felt like they had all the gold they needed? Second thing they were famous for, wool. Uh, there were fields all around Laodicea with sheep. 
The shepherds would bring their wool every year, and in the city there were factories where they would take that wool and process it and make wonderful garments, wonderful clothes. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, come to me and buy white clothes that will cover your nakedness. Thirdly, uh, the city of Laodicea was famous for its medical resources. There was there a temple to the Greek god of healing, uh, the one that we've already talked about before in the series. He's symbolized by the pole with the snake wrapped around it, which you see all the time even today. They had a temple which had a hospital connected to it, and they were famous around the world. Forget this, the eye salve that one particular physician had developed which helped people who had eye diseases or eye problems. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, come to me and buy eye salve? So that you can see. There's one more thing that Laodicea was, I would say, not famous but infamous for, and that was its terrible water. Uh, Laodicea, unlike many of the other cities, did not have a fresh water supply of its own. It had to basically receive water from another city. Uh, Heropolis was a good ways away. It had hot springs there, and the water would flow across the plateau and down a mountain into Laodicea. But by the time it got there from the hot springs way upstream, it was perfectly lukewarm, tepid, you know, Uh, which, you know, cold water, wonderful on a hot day. Hot water, especially when mixed with beans, (laughs) delicious on any day. Lukewarm water, ugh, you, you want to spit it out, right? And yet Laodicea was world famous for this water that was full of sediment and just nauseatingly lukewarm. Isn't Jesus a master? He says, come to me and buy all the stuff you already think you have, but buy it from me better. And the fact that you think you have it better shows me that you're really like your water. You've turned lukewarm. That's why I want to spit you out. And so if you look at the bulletin today, there are three uh, things I want to show you from the passage. Uh, First of all, if you'll see it there, in verse 14, we're going to see the wholehearted Savior. And that's going to show us why it's a contradiction to be a lukewarm Christian. Secondly, we're going to see a lukewarm church and how it is that that a Christian can actually become lukewarm. And then lastly, we're going to see some wise counsel what Jesus counsels a lukewarm Christian to do, okay? So first of all, let's look at the Savior, the wholehearted Savior. Uh, Jesus describes himself in verse 14, which, if you'll look at it, it's very similar to the other letters. Every letter he starts by describing who he is. It's almost like Jesus is building a resume for himself as he goes around to all these churches. But for every church, he he selects one particular thing, one aspect of who he is that particularly applies to that church's problem. Um, If you were applying for, I mean, if you were applying for a job, you would give your resume, you would sit down for an interview, but before you did that, you would make sure that what's on your resume actually applies to the job that you're trying to get, right? Uh, Like my resume would not work very well if I were applying to be a nurse. I just wouldn't qualify, right? Um, You know, if I were applying to be a car mechanic and talking to them about my skills. They would quickly discover I'm not the man for the job. And you can think of jobs like that for you. Well, here's the wonderful thing about Jesus, and we've seen it all summer long. No matter what the problem is at the church, 
Jesus has something on his resume that perfectly fits it. That's how great Jesus is. Jesus is not tweaking his resume and like fudging it a little bit to get every job. He just fits every job. And so here, even for a lukewarm, tepid, nauseating group of Christians, which of course all of us would agree we don't want to be that, even for them, Jesus has something to offer, something life-transforming. Now let's look at what it is. He says to them, I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I am the beginning of God's creation. And I want to summarize all three of those this way. Jesus is a wholehearted Savior. He's not half-hearted. He's not lukewarm at all. Think about amen for a minute. Uh, do you ever say amen? Sometimes, right? We say it. Even Presbyterians at times say it. Uh, amen, right? Amen. Now, when do you say amen? Is it when you didn't understand what was said? No. Is it when you sort of agreed with it, but you weren't really sure, so you're going to go home and think about it? No. You say amen when you are 100% in your heart. You feel it. You believe it. And amen. Preach it, brother. Right? <laughs> Jesus is described as the amen of God in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, In Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So that if you find it in the scriptures, if God has said it, if he said, my people, here's what I promise you, this, this, and this, forgiveness, new life, eternal life, um, completely transformed way of thinking, everything he promises, if you look at it in Jesus, it's amen. It's, it's given, it's earned, it's offered fully to you. Uh, Jesus did not give a half-hearted, oh, I'm going to go into the world and do a little bit of what the Father told me to do. He gave a full-throated, wholehearted, hearty amen from the bottom of who he was to every commandment of God, to every promise. Wow, what a wholehearted Savior. Secondly, he says, I'm the faithful and true witness. And, and last week we saw it in the, in the letter to the church at Philadelphia. A witness is someone who represents the truth or represents another person. And here he's the faithful one. He represents God perfectly. He's true. In Jesus is no lie at all. When you look at Jesus Christ and you see him working and you see him speaking and, and interacting with people in the Bible, you are seeing God without any mixture. Straight up, you're seeing who God is perfectly. He's no, no half-hearted Savior. He's wholehearted. Lastly, he's the beginning of all creation, which is probably the best one of all the three. I mean, uh, that word beginning doesn't just mean the start of something. It also means the foundation of something. In fact, the word in Greek is arch, an arch. What does an arch do? Supports. It holds everything up. And, you know, Jesus is saying, I am the one who upholds the whole creation, uh, I was there when it was made because it was made through me. I was there when it was made because it was made for me. It exists, every single thing in the world exists for Jesus. You know, we, we say sometimes at Christmas, he's the reason for the season. But that's selling Jesus short. 
Uh, Jesus is the reason for literally everything that ever was and ever will be. World without end, amen. And Jesus, so notice what he's saying. I'm everything. I didn't come to you offering halvesies. I came to you offering all of me in accordance with the will of my Father. And so therefore, think about it. If Jesus is that kind of Savior, what a contradiction it is to have a people who claim to be saved who are half-hearted people. It's actually, I mean, it is an oxymoron to have a lukewarm Christian. Listen to what John Stott says. He's one of my favorite commentators on the Bible. He was a great man, great preacher. He said, to be half-hearted, complacent, and only casually interested in the things of God is to prove oneself not a Christian at all. And to be so distasteful to Christ as to be in danger of a vehement rejection. When I read that this week, it was convicting to me. And I hope you hear it that way. I, I don't think John Stott is guilty of over-exaggerating there. I think it is really true. Jesus is really saying to the church here, if you are lukewarm for me, you should question whether you know me at all. It may be that you do. It may be just that you've forgotten some things that you need to remember. But it may be you just don't know me because I'm all in. And if you've heard about an all-in Savior, how in the world could you re-offer a half-in commitment to him? Jesus is the amen in the place of our disobedience. Wow. Jesus is the revelation of God in the place of our willful ignorance. Jesus is the reason for creation in the place of our attempts at self-rule, which always fail. How can we hear about that and think, oh, yeah, Jesus, good, what's for lunch? Y'all, it it actually makes more sense to be a complete atheist than to be a half-hearted Christian. Because at least you're committed. At, At least you heard the truth as it really was claiming to be, and you just said, that's too much for me to believe. To hear it and think that it's true, but then to only give a half-hearted response, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus says it's nauseating. Uh, Who wants uh, lukewarm water? Who wants lukewarm soup? Not Jesus. So this morning, who do you believe Jesus to be? Who do you think he is? And can any, would anyone in your life say, I know that they believe that? Would they say that about you? I know that they believe who Jesus is, and they believe it fully. Better question. When Jesus looks at your life, when he tastes of your life like water, what does he taste? It's a very convicting question, but important. All right, secondly... Let's look at uh, the lukewarm church and how it happens. I mean, I said a minute ago that you might not even be a Christian if you're lukewarm, and that's true. I mean, that's the honest truth. I have to bring that message to you this morning, as uncomfortable as it is. But it's also true that you might be a Christian who has forgotten some key things. And there in verses 15 to 17, it says, A Christian, a real Christian, can become lukewarm by forgetting their need for Jesus. 
That's the number one way of becoming lukewarm is forgetting your need for Jesus. You can never forget that and thrive as a Christian. Uh, Think about it. If you don't think you need something, you don't go looking for it. Y'all agree with that? Let me give you an example. Uh, I, y'all know, am a native Floridian. I've been here my entire life. I've never lived anywhere else for any length of time to write about. I've been here my whole life. My entire life, I have never owned a really heavy winter coat. Not one. Never owned one. And you know, I've never gone shopping for one either. Uh, I never had, never felt the need. Never felt the compulsion to do that. I have never owned snow skis or snowshoes and have never gotten the hankering to go shopping for snowshoes my entire life. Because there's just no need, right? You do not seek what you don't think you need. So what a dangerous and perilous thing to get your heart into a frame of mind that thinks, I don't need what Jesus offers. It's at that moment that you stop going after him. You, start chasing, you stop chasing him. You become lukewarm. Now, why do we do that? Jesus says, here's one main reason. Listen, materialism. Let's read verses 15 and 17 again. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to come buy from me true riches. What happened to Laodicea? They were such a successful city. They had the gold in the banks. They had the wool and the great fashions and clothing. They had the medical technology to heal people. Everybody flocked to them. The only thing they lacked was good drinking water. And because they they had all those other things, they became like their drinking water spiritually. That they, they numbed themselves to their true spiritual need because they had all their physical needs met. And the Bible says that is a danger for everybody. Jesus said it this way. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Kids who are left in the room, think about that. How big a camel is. Is it big? Really big. Bigger than a cow. Imagine taking a camel and putting it through the, the eye of a needle, which you can hardly even fit the thread through. I, it's really hard sometimes to get the thread through the eye of a needle, much less a camel. In other words, Jesus is saying it's impossible except for the work of God. Now, why is it impossible? Because when we have physical things going well for us, we tend to think the spiritual things are too. And it's not true. Now, the Bible's not communistic. The Bible's not Marxist. It's not saying all rich people are evil and all poor people are always good in, in heart and therefore we should just switch places you know, by some radical revolution. It's not saying that. But the Bible is very much about warning us about the danger of wealth. It is very dangerous to your spiritual life. And you just have to be aware of it. By the way, everybody in this room, by the world's standards, should consider themselves somewhat wealthy. Right? And just on, if, we put, if we ranked ourselves on the scale of the world, 
we've got food, we, we've got clothing, we've got shelter, we've got money. Most of us have, you know, uh, disposable income that we can buy things we just want, not just need. I mean, that, that classifies us as pretty wealthy in the world's eyes. We have to be careful not to be materialistic. Receive materials as a gift from God, but don't be materialistic. Remember who the gift is and who the giver is. Don't start to think the gift is the giver, or that you yourself are the giver, or that some other human is the giver. Remember who the giver is and give glory to him. And learn to listen to what Jesus says about your soul more than you listen to the press clippings about your wealth. Don't believe other people when they praise you for being successful. Don't believe them. Right? When someone praises you, don't believe it. Instead, remember what Jesus says about you. Wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, naked, shameful. You say, well, that's not very uplifting. Well, it's not uplifting if there's no salvation offered by this Jesus, but because he's also going to come right behind it and offer salvation to us, it is extraordinarily uplifting. Because it, 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 it gives us that sense of desperation that we need to chase after Jesus. By the way, when someone criticizes you, you should also not listen fully. Because you should say, I agree with you, but it's worse than you think it is. <laughs> you don't know the half of how bad I am. Jesus done told me. And I believe what he said. You see, we shouldn't get so caught up in human things, in merely human things. We shouldn't get so caught up in our bank accounts and retirement accounts and et cetera, et cetera, because we lose love for God this quickly when we do. Jesus went to supper one time at a rich man's house. His name was Simon. He was a Pharisee too. So Jesus is at a dinner party with very religious, very wealthy people. You know, so that, think about that party, right? Every, most of us would want to be at that party. Jesus was there. They were eating. A woman who had a bad reputation comes in. Okay? She was a woman of the night to, for you adults, right? She came in. She went straight to Jesus. She knelt at his feet during dinner started crying and kissing his feet and washing his feet, his feet with her tears and, and drying them with her hair. On a scale of zero to awkward, <laughs> where does that rank? I mean, that is awkward. Very religious people, very wealthy people, and here's this lady kissing his feet at the dinner table, and he doesn't stop her. Simon thinks... Hmm. If this guy was really a prophet, he would know who she is and kick her out immediately. Jesus, because he's God, knows what Simon's thinking and says, Simon, i got a story to tell you. Imagine there are two people in debt to the same man. One owes him a million dollars. The second owes him a hundred dollars. The man forgives both people their debt. Simon, which one of the people are going to love that man more? Of course, Simon says, well, of course, the one that owed him a million dollars because he got, he got forgiven a million. A hundred dollars is not that much. A million dollars is a ton. Jesus said, Simon, when I came in, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. 
Simon, you stink at love. You're not even good at hosting people. Why? Because you don't think you needed to be forgiven very much from God. This woman now knows that she had to be forgiven a truckload. And so she's pouring out a truckload of praise onto me. This is the key, y'all. If you don't want to be a lukewarm Christian, you've got to remember how much God had to forgive you. If you ever stop, if you ever start to not be surprised that you're going to go to heaven one day, if you ever lose your shock that one day you'll be, you will actually be in heaven, then you've, you're on your way to being lukewarm. <laughs> because, y'all, I hate to tell you, or I'll actually love to tell you this, <laughs> it is a shocker that you're going to be in heaven. <laughs> I am shocked that you will be there, and I am very shocked that I will be there. He forgave so much. And therefore, he is so worthy of being loved so, so much. Now, thirdly, this morning, Jesus gives wise counsel in verses 18 to 22. He tells lukewarm Christians what to do. And this, is, this is simple. It won't take long to look at this. Uh, if you look there, starting in verse 18, first he says, I counsel you to come and buy from me. And he goes to the list of things that they think makes them rich, but Jesus says, I've got a better version of it. You think you have gold because you've got a bank? Well, come to me and buy the real gold, the spiritual gold. You think, he says, that you've got clothes with all your wool, great job, but come to me and get white garments to clothe yourself and so that the shame of your nakedness and your sin wouldn't be seen. You think you've got a good hospital with great medicine? Come buy the real medicine from me and then you can see spiritually. Isn't that good advice? And then, notice, Jesus tells them how to come to him and buy. And there are two steps to it. This is the simple invitation of the gospel this morning. I want to give it to you as simple as I can. You repent and you believe. You repent and you believe. He says to repent first there in verse 19. To those, those that I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Well, we, we sometimes miss that word repent. We imagine that the word repent means do something to make up for the bad you did. That's not what repent means. You can't do anything to make up for the bad you did. First of all, it's too bad. Second of all, you're not good enough to do it, right? Here's what repent really means. Change your mind and heart about what you did. Instead of taking sin in, spit it out. Start spitting it out. Start disowning it. Start hating it because God hates it, because God wants to spit it out. That's what repentance really means. It's a change of heart. It's something really only God can do for you. It's only he that can give you this gift, but when he gives it to you, exercise it, exercise it every single day. Every one of us has sin every day that we need to spit out. The problem is, is we like to try to play games. We spit half of it out, we taste the other half. But you've got to think about it. How much poison is too much poison? <laughs> I'd say 1.00001 liters is too much poison. So Jesus says, learn how to be a repenter. 
It doesn't matter how small the sin is. Learn how to spit it out. Ask God to help you every day. Learn to spit it out. But secondly, you've got to learn how to believe every day. You've got to learn how to embrace Jesus. It says there in verse 20, famous words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is knocking. And he says, if anyone will open the door and come in, to, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I will have a meal with them. I'll have dinner with them. Their whole life will become a life of communion with me, a friendship with me. Wow. But you've got to open the door. He's knocking. What this tells us is that you can, you can hear the knock of Jesus and not open the door. It's possible. I would encourage you to think about that. Have you opened the door as you hear the offer of the gospel? Um, it's also true that you can apparently be a part of the church for a long time and never have opened the door to, the, to Jesus. Because Jesus isn't talking to random people on the street here. He's talking to the church in Laodicea. The members of the church. And he says, I'm at the door. Have you opened it? If you've opened it, then you're going to eat with me your whole life. And one day you're going to be seated with me on my throne. You're going to reign with me. But open the door. Spit sin out and open the door. Now, the other thing we see here is we ought to want to open this door because of who's on the other side of it. I stand at the door and knock. The amen, the the true and faithful witness, the firstborn of all creation, the, the beginning of all creation. He's on the other side of the door. The one who says, if you knock in prayer, I will always open the door. Now that's somebody I want to let in. And I want to encourage you today, whatever it may cost you, spit sin out, open the door to Jesus. He offers you more than what your materialism can offer you. Spit materialism out this morning. Spit it out. And open the door to the one who can make you really rich forever. The fact that Jesus says to me, when you come and pray and you knock on my door, I will always open. Wow. I can't get over that. I can't get over that compared to the tragedy of when I've left the door shut on him. And I want to run to that door this morning and throw it open and welcome him once again in. And this morning, it may be you're here and you have never opened the door to Jesus Christ, ever. You've heard the knock before. Maybe you've heard it faintly, but you've heard it, but you haven't opened the door. I want to encourage you this morning to do that. Maybe you've opened the door before, but you say, I'm, I'm lukewarm, man. I'm way too materialistic. I know as I was looking at this this week, that was the conclusion I came to. I need to spit more materialism out all the time to remember who I really am before Jesus and let him in so I can have his supper, which he offers.